Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, November 8th, 2019. Before we go to our next guest, if you're wondering what the national talking heads are saying about Cam Newton, this is from ESPN's Around the Horn yesterday. You look at his contract, it's $19 million next year, all non-guaranteed. He's $21 million against the cap. They can actually... Cut him, unfortunately, for his sake, uh, very easily and just move on and try to start over, whether it's with their current quarterback or maybe draft the quarterback, bring in a free agent. There's a lot of possibilities, certainly for them. And then as far as Cam's concerned, look, I I think in the short term, this takes some pressure off of him because there's not the questions, the constant questions to Cam, to Ron Rivera, to his teammates about whether he's going to come back and play or not. They're in the thick of this thing in the playoff race at 5-3, and and they could kind of move forward. Though there is a glimmer of hope for Cam, he could technically come back for the playoffs if they make it. I think we might be being prisoners of the moment. We're not that far off from a guy being an MVP, from a Super Bowl Mm -hmm. appearance, even from last season at the beginning. All right, so that was from around the horn, and that's George Sedano and... Sarah Spain. I play that because if Charlotte was going to have a contributor to Around the Horn, it would be the guy who's on the line right now, uh, the iconic Tom Sorensen from the Charlotte Observer. And, uh, you know, I, I don't bother him often, but when days, when, when you have days where you have a story of this magnitude for the Carolina Panthers, the uh, Cam Newton going on IR, and of course, what it may mean long term for Cam Newton, I got to hear what Tom Sorensen would think of this. Tom, good morning, my friend. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Jim Zoki here with me. Uh, so uh, just uh, at a basic level, what's your reaction to this move yesterday? I was surprised because to me this denotes the end. I thought they'd let it ride. I thought they would just wait and see if maybe the foot improved. And it, there was even a suddenness to it. I mean, it's been lingering, the, the rumors and the story for a long time. But I thought yesterday made it official. And, uh, you know, I've seen... A friend of mine went through the same injury with Liz Frank, and his x-rays on his foot look like a claw. I mean, it just looks just unnatural. And that's what Cam has right now. And I concur with ESPN. I don't think he's going to play for this franchise again. And uh, it's kind of a quiet way to go out, considering the way he came in. So uh, let me get that clarified here. You you think he's done with the Panthers, or you think he's done with the NFL? What do you make of his career from here on out? I think the Panthers will save so much money by releasing him after this season that that's what they'll do. And, uh, you know, I hope he regains his health and makes it somewhere else. But I think, you know, it was like day one of the Kyle Allen era. And I was thinking, if the let's just say that instead of being an undrafted guy, Kyle Allen had been a first-round choice, and this was rookie season. We'd be in love with the guy. You know, he he has poise. He's had one very bad game, but he's had some very good ones. And he's more of a manager than Cam is. That is, he's not going to lift you to victory, not going to lift the offense all by himself. But he's been very good, and I think we would be thrilled with his work in that context. Instead, he's a second-year guy. He's 23, never drafted, and uh, – He's having a heck of a season. In the uh, long term, as Bo was talking, we'll see about what Cam's future is. For what it's worth, on his Instagram, he was talking about uh, working his tail off and getting back to being a football player again and supporting the team. So sounds like Cam wants to continue his, his career. Uh, for the short term, which is eight games of this regular season, Panthers are 5-3 and three here, Tom, at the halfway point of the regular season. You gave some of your thoughts on Kyle Allen. So as you look ahead to what's coming up with Kyle Allen, with the schedule that's ahead, uh, how do you feel about the Panthers' chances of getting into the postseason? 
I think they probably won't. I think they're on the cusp. I mean, their defense has been very good, but their schedule becomes much more difficult. You know, they have a game this week uh, at Green Bay, and then they get a line at home, which is homecoming. And then they play New Orleans on the road. And then later they get New Orleans at home. And there's some very good games in there. And they play Indianapolis. Uh, you know, they're going to have, I think, to to make the playoffs, to replicate their first half record, they're going to have to be better than they've been. And it's possible that Allen, as good as he's been, will even more grow into that role, a guy that you can depend on, a guy who can lift you. What Cam could do with his best was the rest of the team could be mediocre, and just through his enthusiasm and his play and his leadership, he, he could lift that team to a victory. Kyle can't do that yet, and he probably maybe he never will. I mean, not, not all quarterbacks can. But right now they've entrusted him with the offense. And, uh, yeah, he's going to have to be good. But he's got a really good defense with which to work. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting starting this week and uh, on the frozen tundra. You know, I was thinking about this, and uh, we, we, we heard your initial reaction, which is, if you're just joining us, that uh, the Cam Newton era, uh, Tom Sorensen believes, is over in Carolina. Now, you could look at this kind of Jimmy Garoppolo-like, could you not, and say that, uh, okay, Kyle Allen could finish out this season and take the Panthers as far as he can take them, and then suppose Cam Newton comes back healthy, and they make the decision to keep him, and then Kyle Allen turns up somewhere else next year, kind of like Garoppolo played you know, in the uh, stead of Tom Brady, and now he's in San Francisco doing what he's doing. Uh, that could be a scenario, no? It, it, it could be. It's just Cam has been hurt. For so long, if you look at last season too, and you know the shoulder and ribs and and now the foot, and you just wonder if he's a big guy, he's a strong guy, he's taking a lot of punishment, and he he made the much more than Michael Vick. He made the league safe for running quarterbacks. I mean, every time I see a quarterback like Lamar Jackson in uh, Baltimore, I think this got to be thanking Cam because. Running quarterbacks were looked down upon. They were looked on, looked on almost as performers. Yeah, he's fun to watch, but can he win? And Cam showed that you can play that style and win. And uh, he did that. But he also, his body took a great toll. And can he come back from all those injuries? I hope he can. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting if he, you know, next season he's playing somewhere outside the division for somebody else. Yeah. You're right. The, uh, it, it could go the Garoppolo way. It could be that Cam comes back, and it again, when he's back, he's here, it's his team. And then uh, Allen goes to somewhere for draft choices, and uh be interesting. Well, there are all kinds of scenarios here. Uh, you could also go back the way we kind of started this conversation and maybe look at what happened yesterday uh, as it plays out. If Cam is done here, it's kind of like uh, when, when LJ and Alonzo left the Hornets. I mean, you're talking about a personality of that stature and franchise changing. I mean, there's no question that Cam Newton is one of the most, uh, well, you know, some people love him, some people don't love him so much, but he is one of the biggest personalities, if not the biggest sports personality to ever play in this town. He is, and so interesting that he and Kimball Walker came to town the same season, and that Cam was the MVP on the best college football team, and Kimball was the MVP on the best basketball team. Right. Completely different personas, but uh, it's interesting they came at the same time. And you know, Cam has just made this his. And even now, though, if I write something good about Cam, I get ripped. If I praise Cam, I get ripped. He's the most divisive athlete we've ever had, and it's not even close. Well, so right now, a lot of people are thrilled. Yay, Cam's gone, and a lot of people are commiserating. No, no, he can't go. So it's 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 interesting, regardless of which side you're on. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Cam's on ESPN. I've heard other people say that, okay, unequivocally he's gone. I'm not saying that. I think yeah, he is. Just where your but, gut you know, is. Earlier, it was unequivocally he's coming back the week after the bye to practice, and he'll be the starter again. So this is so much conjecture. And, the people who know play it close. I mean, I, I doubt David Tepper's talking to anybody. I knew Jerry Richardson well, so I had a feel for what he would do, but I don't I don't have that connection with Tepper. And Ron and Marty have always been very good at keeping things to themselves. So I I think what we see is what we're getting. Yeah. I don't think there are any vast secrets. I just think that uh, 
we'll have to figure it out as we go. Well, big story, and uh, I can't imagine not hearing from you today. I appreciate your time, Tom Sorensen, uh, Charlotte Observer. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Bo. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT, plus extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. I knew on a day like today I wanted to get Mac and T-Bone from our sister station down the hall, WFNZ, the Mac Attack, every morning. It's not every day we're talking about Cam Newton, though, being put on IR. In fact, it's the first time we've ever had that as a headline. And, uh, guys, uh, thanks for coming in for a few minutes. Uh, I, th- I thought we were talking about the election. Uh, this is confusing now to me, Mac. I what thought we- it was Hornets. Hornets are 4-3, and three, uh, baby. They, they weren't supposed to have down. four wins before the All-Star break. Well, if I, start, <laughs> if I start merging into Cam Newton and how that affects Vi Lyles, then you'll know I've been here too long after doing election coverage last night. Now, this headline yesterday, I don't think anybody in the room is surprised by this. We certainly saw it as a possible scenario. But it is it, it, when it sinks in, the finality of it, at least for the regular season. Uh, it, it, how does it hit you, uh, uh, Chris? Well, it's You're right. We kind of, once we got the news that he was going to see the specialist getting a third opinion last week, you started to hear a lot of the national guys report that this is where it was probably headed. The thing that really hits you is the amount of people that cover the NFL that seem to believe this is it for him in Carolina. Like, not just for this year. But this is the end of the Cam Newton era. I still think that has a lot to do with how Kyle Allen plays. I do think, Bo, if, he, if they make the playoffs with Kyle Allen as a starter and he is making about half a million dollars a year and Cam is going to make next year $21 million, mm-hmm. and they can save 19 of that million by, by saying bye to him, I do think that's definitely going to be a serious possibility. Now, if they make the playoffs, Cam could technically be available. Now, you could go two two ways here. I mean, Kyle Allen could keep doing what he's doing, and I think most people would say you don't mess with the hot hand, especially as you enter the playoffs. But by the same token, if we uh, still make the playoffs, but we kind of stumble into the playoffs and Cam is there as an option, or if Kyle Allen goes down in the playoffs, Cam Newton is technically there. Do you guys think we have seen the last of Cam Newton? Now, this is a two-part question. Do you think we've seen the last of Cam this year? Uh, yes, for this year, I think so. And I think it was important for Cam. I think the IR, putting him on IR, gets rid of the distraction that is when is Cam coming back. Because now Kyle Allen can just focus on what he's got to do, not looking over his shoulder. Is, is Cam going to come in and take the job I've had in December? And also, I think it's important for the team as a whole, Ron Rivera now can put that to bed for a while. There's no Cam questions. We see how testy Ron gets at the Cam questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, understandably so. He's frustrated by the whole thing. Now Mac Ron can say, you know what, we're focused on Kyle Allen and his football team, and that distraction is gone. So that's, that's important. As far as the future goes, I, I'm not sold on Kyle Allen long-term yet. I don't think anyone 100% should be. There's a long way to go. I think he, if Cam were to leave... Kyle Allen could be one of those guys that sticks around and maybe mentors the next quarterback or whatever, the drafted quarterback. So I think Kyle Allen still has a role down the line. Is that the the starter long term? I think it's too early to tell on that. Mac, you agree on that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it is. Although this seems to be, I don't know. Uh, Twitter. I thought Twitter is where all the truth is, Bo. There's a lot of people <laughs> on Twitter that are telling me Kyle Allen is is a five time Pro Bowler. Yeah, we just got to watch him play. But I agree with Bone. I, I think. You know, Kyle Allen's got an audition here. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I don't think they're winning necessarily because of him, but they're winning with him. And they got a lot of free agents next year to pay. Guys like James Bradbury, Mm -hmm. Shaq Thompson, Gerald McCoy, Mario Addison. There's tons of them. So I think they are thinking in the back of their mind, hmm, we can have Kyle Allen on that, you know, relatively cheap contract for a quarterback and be able to sign an extra guy or two. I, I, th- I think that's tempting. But I think another thing, too, is what's the future for Ron and Marty? That's a good point. You know, if they don't make the playoffs, are both those guys gone? And then what does a new coach and GM think? They may want to go draft a guy fresh and go handpick their own. Mac, will you tell Bo your rule of the three things now you can't talk about in Charlotte, in public, the three things you can't talk about? Bo talks about one of them every day. <laughs> no, you can't. You don't want to just meet someone fresh on the street and start talking to them and talk religion, politics, or Cam and Kyle. You don't, those are divisive issues, man. We had texts from our listeners saying that they are being divided as families over the Cam and Kyle oh, thing. Yeah, so yeah. watch out when you talk about that. And you throw Trump in there, and then it really uh, oh, my God, escalates. Get... <laughs> now, I, I said it was a two-part question. So the first part of that was, uh, is this the 
last we've seen of Cam this year. Now I put this question out uh, to both of you. Do you think this is the last we've seen as Cam of Cam as a Carolina Panther? I kind of do, Bone. I don't know about you. I mean, I, uh, I do, and I, I'm not happy about it as a fan. I love Cam. I think yeah. he's the most exciting thing I've seen in this sports town since I've been here, and this is the 16th football season I've been here for. But I just I, – I, I feel that way. It feels like maybe it could be best for both parties to part. Yeah, I, I agree with Mac, and it feels like maybe it is best for both parties. Maybe the Panthers need to move on, and maybe they want to move on, and maybe Cam needs to change the scenery. Maybe Cam's ready to go. Right, So maybe this is one of those situations where sometimes things just end. It just happens in sports. Things just end. There's a finality to it. And I think right now we're seeing the end of, of Cam in, uh, in Carolina. And also there goes 95% of our show topics. Well, so, Matt, get, get cranking on some new ones here, buddy. This, no, this was just like a little uh, you know, pre- pregame practice. You yeah, know, Bo, Bo took no, I meant like Cam leaving, Cam leaving the city. Oh, go. I thought you meant we No, not today, right obviously. But yeah, Cam guys, leaving the city, there goes half of our... Too bad you oh, didn't. yeah. That would be like if Trump's ever out of office. You guys got to find a new source of material. Uh, yeah. well, if <laughs> Cam and Trump, man, if Cam and Trump are both gone from our lives, Bo, our careers are over. That's well, the way I view that's it. That's why there's a Don Jr. and an Ivanka. We don't have Don Jr. We have Kyle Allen. Well, and final thing, what I hear from both of you here is, okay, you both think this may be the end of the Cam era in Carolina, but you're neither one of you are sold on it necessarily automatically going into the Kyle Allen era long term. He's got to prove himself. He's 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 gotten the chance, or he deserves the chance to prove himself for the rest of the season. But uh, neither one of you are, are gangbusters all in on Kyle Allen uh, the next era yet. Because I think there's still stuff we have to see. Yeah. We saw him bounce back from adversity against San Francisco and play well against Tennessee. Uh, play well for the most part in the second half of the game. But I think Mac can agree. We kind of want to see him in a game get behind. Get by, I mean, we don't want to see the Panthers lose, but... But we saw it against the Niners, and it was yeah. ugly. He now, started pressing and forcing. If like, he gets down 17-3 to Green Bay or one of these these tough opponents, and he rallies them back, and we see that moment where we go, okay, now I get it. Now I see what he can be. But if the defense doesn't play well and McCaffrey's not running for a buck fifty, can he carry the team? We haven't seen that yet. I'm not saying he can't, but it's something we still have to see here in the second half. I think yeah. people get confused by the one-loss record and what a quarterback's really doing. You yeah. know what I mean? That defense, that pass rush is really good. Christian McCaffrey's ridiculous, and he's playing solid. But, Bo, I looked up about eight different quarterback stats yesterday, and Kyle Allen is 27th or lower in seven of them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. statistically is not doing a ton except winning. That's the most important stat, I guess. Well, congratulations to Kyle Allen. The team is yours now. Now you get to go to Green Bay and play in what could really be a frozen tundra this weekend if the weather holds <laughs> yes. up. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready, this is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Time to catch up with Teresa Payton, and I do mean catch up, because if you blink, she's in another state. So yesterday, she's in Massachusetts talking to uh, talking to Girl Scouts, among other people, as I understand it. And Teresa, our cybersecurity expert, as we bring you on now, uh, you are in the Big Easy, right? That's right. That's right. Yes, today I'm with the construction industry down in the Big Easy. Yesterday in Massachusetts with CVS Aetna, and they invited the Girl Scouts. And, Bo, you're going to love this. The first question of the day that I was asked, the Girl Scout stands up, and she said, I was listening to the radio this morning, (laughs) and I heard them say on the news, they were talking about election security and that one day we may be able to vote from our phones. How do you feel about that? So I thought, oh, I mean, just what a smart young woman. It gives me so much hope for the future. But she was listening to the news on the radio. Well, I want to know what you said to her. <laughs> well, I told her one day I think that the technology will be there. Um, I'm very appreciative that we have it in pilot, in use, in very Um, kind of small pilots for our military families who are stationed abroad to allow them to vote, Uh, but that the technology is really not there yet from a maturity standpoint to really secure the vote um, from mobile phones. Well, you know, kids these days do so many things on their phone, and and they don't don't know a time where you didn't have a phone, so of course it would stand to reason that you should be able to vote with your phone already. Yeah, in her mind, she thought it would be safer. So we had a really good discussion about that. It was just about identity management and fraud and how easy it can be to commit fraud from a mobile perspective. And certainly fraud exists on all the other voting channels as well. 
Um, but it, it was a really good discussion. And again, these Girl Scouts came prepared with some really great questions. So are you going to, uh, in the Big Easy, uh, solicit questions from construction workers? Yes. Yeah, we'll be talking about all different uh, threats of vulnerabilities hitting the industry. So it'll be interesting to see what I get for my first question today. Yeah, you'll have to. Uh, we'll have to revisit this next week. Uh, a couple of things I want to run past you. First thing, uh, and every once in a while, I just like to read you a headline. So Google uh, buys Fitbit this week. Uh, do you have any concerns there? Uh. I mean, no, and now they've got my house, they've got my <laughs> running path, they know what I'm doing. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Google has really tried to be much more transparent with you and me around how they use Google search and making Google search, you know, where you can delete it. And I have seen already where other fellow Fitbit users have posted that they're going to delete their Fitbit account and they're very worried about how Google is going to use the information. So it's going to be very important in these early weeks um, and first year where Google takes over the Fitbit accounts and those customers that Google says what the privacy policy will be and what they plan to do with the data. So it would be very, very important for them to come out and be just as transparent about that as they have been about Google Home and Google Search. So more to come there. I'm not sure, Bo, but obviously data Mm -hmm. is the new currency, and they bought Fitbit for a reason, and it wasn't just to, you know, help us all be more fit in our lives. There's definitely a data play behind the scenes here. Absolutely. And uh, we're coming up on uh, Christmas holiday shopping season. You and I always do a full show on uh, things that are out there uh, for you to buy and things that are out there for you to be wary of when it comes to cyber shopping. But I I got a note about this the other day, and I've been meaning to ask you about this anyway, because it's interesting. Uh, Facebook is making a real push to uh, widen the screen, so to speak. The Muppets actually have been commissioned to help advertise this new Facebook Portal TV product. And uh, I've seen a couple of reviews of this. I'm not quite sure I understand exactly what it is, but anything that has the Facebook brand on it right now that Facebook is asking me to bring into my life, of course, there's always the, the, the Cambridge Analytica and the baggage that comes along with Facebook, period. You know anything about this Portal service, or are you uh, on board with this or not? Well, I, so this is going to be one of those things. I personally will not have it in my house um, or at the Fortalis headquarters, but I can See the appeal. So what I, what I want to do is sort of, I, I think this is great that we're talking about this. I want to kind of just take a little bit of a peek behind the curtain with this Facebook TV portal um, for, for people who want the ease of use, right? Especially if you've got um, kind of older or younger generations that you're trying to reach out to. Facebook portal is not only going to allow you to watch things like TV and videos, uh, you know, from the portal uh, with kind of a nice wide screen to view it on. But it's going to be very simple to use to do video chats and yeah. to engage with fa- family and friends on this portal in sort of a bigger screen format than a smartphone or a tablet, if you will. My challenge is exactly what you said, though, Bo. They have a history of let's break things and see what happens. Um, you know, that's been the motto of Zuckerberg. They have a history of well after the privacy issues and concerns are raised, of saying, oh, that bothered you? I'm sorry that bothered you. (laughs) We're not going to change. And so that sorry, not sorry attitude that we've seen repeatedly should just give people, you know, kind of just a moment of pause. But there is a lot that's very appealing about this portal. So this is a risk versus reward trade-off. Your usage of the portal can and will most likely be used to target you with behavioral-based advertising that could include political ads. If you think because of the elections, like everything's over until next year, you're you're sorely mistaken. And you could be targeted with all these different ads. And now it's on a portal in your house uh, where it can be displayed for everybody as well as it remains to be seen for me. I've got more questions than answers right now. If this portal will actually be tracking behavioral-based activity in the room that it's located. So will it turn on when you come in and will it record that somewhere? Uh, Will it record like every single time it's engaged and will that give more about your and my patterns of life when that 
TV portal by Facebook is installed in someone's house. Well, you make a good point. A lot of times you hear that old adage that you don't want to uh, buy the product when it's uh, in its infancy. In other words, you don't want version 1.0. You want to be version 3.0 so they can get the bugs out. Maybe that might be a strategy with this Facebook because, I, you know, Facebook Messenger comes to mind. Uh, you're exactly right. They have had issues uh, out of the gate before, and then they have to go back and fix the problems and apologize later. They do. They do. And so maybe it's one of those things where you let your neighbors and you let your friends and family try them out and maybe wait for the next holiday shopping. Season. Well, you let the Muppets try it out, then they can they can <laughs> they can go through that process. Hey, Porto, call Kermit. Fuzzy. Kermit. I send everyone a portal so we can be together no matter where we are. And now we're video calling? We're video calling. Well, I mean, you know, the Muppets are going to tell me what's going on, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe there will be a new edition of Fraggle Rock on uh, Facebook Portal TV. Well, then then we'd both sign up, so that, that must be what it takes. <laughs> Teresa, uh, have fun in the Big Easy. Thanks for checking in. Yep, thanks for having me on, though. Take care. Get your cares away. Worries for another day. Let the music play. Down at Fraggle Rock. Suddenly I'm six years old watching HBO. But it was the fuzzy screen because we didn't technically get HBO. It was just coming in. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I was a rebel. The best of the week. On to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Part of our coverage continues right now. Let's go to the WBT hotline and bring on County Commissioner from District Number 5. She is Susan Harden. Susan, good morning. Hi, Bo. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Uh, how are you feeling today I'm with great. with I'm all this? I'm out at the polls right now, and uh, people are excited to vote. Are you seeing a lot of people voting? Yeah, we're getting we're getting some good uh, coverage this morning, and and um, you know I think this is for those of us who uh, enjoy politics. This is you know this is our day. So this, yeah, people are out. That's right. This is the day, whether you're running or whether you're covering it, whatever it may be. Now. Uh, it's a different kind of election this year. Uh, the The big headliner on the ballot is not a person. It's a it's a, a referendum. And I know you have been one of the biggest supporters of this quarter cent uh, sales tax raise on this referendum. You are a big proponent of voting yes to this. Uh, how are you feeling about how that campaign has gone today? I'm feeling optimistic. You know, I think this is a real opportunity for people to come out and vote for jobs and for kids. It'll really, you know, bring a lot of uh, middle-class jobs to our cultural sector. It'll be bring great programming to our kids. So, no, I, I think people are people are want this for our community. Now, uh, the Partnership for a Better Mecklenburg, uh, they have spent a lot of money to the tune of uh, $1 million uh, for this campaign and getting the word out. Uh, do you think that it's been effective? Do you think that, uh, that this is going to pass tonight? I think it's going to pass. I'm very optimistic. And I think, um, you know, I think we've done the best job we can. We're a big city. There's a lot of people, um, a lot of people, um, you know, I mean, I, but I do feel like people understand um, what's at stake. Now, one thing that uh, the opponents of this would say that people don't understand is exactly uh, what's going to happen if this passes. Now, I know you all uh, have talked about how the uh, percentages break down, uh, 45% to the arts, 34 to parks and greenways, 16% to education, and 5% to towns for uh, arts and, and park projects. But uh, is this a binding referendum? In other words, you all can say this, but then once it passes, are you binded to, uh, to go along with what you said you would do? So it, it is not a binding referendum, but I can tell you that um, your county commission has made great commitments. We've documented it in terms of a resolution and our commitments. And what we're asking voters is to have, you know, to have hope in our community. We have, we have critical needs today. Don't punish the needs today for future bad actions that may not happen in the future. We had uh, Matthew Ridenauer on the station uh, late yesterday, of course. Uh, Matthew uh, was the county commissioner in your district before last go-round. He's a Republican, and he has been leading the charge on the opposition to this. I'm going to play you uh, uh, a clip of something he said yesterday. Honestly, they've talked about, you saw the letter in the Observer talking about Bunsen burners in classrooms. They've talked about uh, senior programming at senior centers. They're talking about hiring more uh, school psychologists. They're talking about raising teacher pay. It's pretty much 
much anything that you might want as a public, they're willing to tell you that that's what the money is going to go towards because they really want those votes. But what they don't realize, or, or maybe they realize and they just don't care, is that that makes the whole message, the whole campaign seem very disingenuous. Um, because everyone knows you can't offer everything to everybody. Um, and so it kind of comes across as, I think, this disingenuous campaign that's just all about getting the tax passed and not about what it's really supposed to be doing. So, Susan, uh, what's your response to that? Well, I can tell you these are genuine needs. I think you'd be very hard-pressed to look at our classrooms and think that teachers, we don't need our teacher assistance back. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to go into some of our parks and don't think we need parks funding. And I, these are genuine needs in terms of our cultural sector and, and shoring up our cultural sector. So I think these are genuine needs. I think the public understands those needs, and they're going to come out strongly today in support. We had somebody call in, a caller, uh, within the last week, and they brought up uh, something I thought was an interesting point to ponder. They said, uh, if this passes and uh, this money is allocated to the arts uh, with the 45 percent there uh, of it, then uh, what is the point of the Arts and Science Council? Isn't the Arts and Science Council there to raise money for the arts? Well, the Arts and Science Council is going to be reconfigured. In fact, it will no longer be a fundraising organization. It will be a grant-making organization. So that person is correct in that the, the Arts and Science Council will be completely refigured. It'll be up to the arts organizations individually to raise their own money. This will be a grant-making organization. So you were out there and you were talking at the beginning of the conversation about uh, just interest in Election Day period. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the other races on the ballot today? Uh, you've got a very interesting uh, city council at-large race where you have – it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether Julie Iselt can hang on to that mayor pro tem spot or whether Braxton Winston moves up. Then you have also a, a Republican-Democrat uh, battle there in District Number 6. There aren't that many battles left in this uh, ballot today, but what are your thoughts in general of uh, what you're expecting? other than the the uh, referendum vote well I think I think in terms of South Charlotte I think you're going to see some changes there I think that um, that's going to be a close race but I think that I think voters are going to come out strong for the Democrat there and then I think that I think that um, the school board is just going to be a really interesting race you have a you know you have some really strong candidates um, in terms of who's coming forward but I think I'm, I'm hoping that 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 voters will I'll vote for incumbency and 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 also um, you know vote for some new change and leadership there too. Well, like I said, we'll be on the air tonight at seven o'clock, and uh, perhaps we'll be able to uh, connect back with you uh, during that coverage and get your thoughts on what the results well, actually will be so tonight. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to talk to you. All right, you're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT podcast. Bo Thompson. Brett Jensen and Trisha Cotham in studio. And, you know, at the end of Panther Games, the guys do final thoughts. Well, that's what we did at the end of the broadcast. The quarter-cent sales tax, the big headline, failed the uh, referendum. Uh, they voted against this uh, quarter-cent sales tax. Final thoughts from the crew in the room last night. Once again, Mecklenburg County voters have shown that they do not want to have their taxes raised in the sales tax. And this was a campaign that was done by people outside of the city of Charlotte, over a billion dollars of people, you know, trying to buy this election. Basically, it did not work. We've seen several occasions of this already in North Carolina politics, where those with the most money have been defeated by strong grassroots activism. And what I like about this sales tax campaign, the opposition campaign that Many came together who, you know, were are staunch Democrats, staunch Republicans, um, who, like Matthew Ridenhauer said, disagree on 90 percent of all things. But on this issue, for, for whatever reason, and mostly because it was, you know, there are no guarantees. No one, most people do not like a sales tax regardless, but no one knew where the money was going except likely going for a private arts organization and it was overwhelmingly defeated and um, we know that the county commission had to because they approved this they put this forward and created the resolution and seven out of them approved going forward and had the task of delivering this and they said that in their county commission meeting that they are the ones responsible for convincing the voters that didn't happen tonight. So what are those seven county commissioners who were the spokespeople for this, who were overwhelmingly defeated, 
What are they really going to do tomorrow to get back in touch with the county and talk about the priorities, the real priorities of homelessness, affordable housing, crime, education in Mecklenburg County? Grassroots politics. Uh, I'd say it's a win for grassroots politics uh, after this race. Uh, you've seen how the uh, the uh, opposition to the sales tax, they spent about $1,000 and a $1 million was spent by the proponents. And uh, this race is not close. It not is a resounding all. defeat yeah. for those who uh, wanted this quarter cent sales tax. Now, uh, three people I want to talk about as we're going away here. Vi Lyles, Tark Bakari, Matthew Ridenauer. Vi Lyles is entering her second term here. The Republican National Convention will be here next year. Uh, she has been uh, has become a very popular mayor on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I mentioned this uh, towards the start of our broadcast. Uh, she wins easily. We knew that. But what's next for Vi Lyles? She's going to lead our city again with grace and class and professionalism. Charlotte's going to be on the international stage, she will continue to do a good job representing the city of Charlotte, bringing people together. She will have to tackle some pretty large issues coming up, and hopefully we'll be able to build better relationships with these members who have now been reelected to a second term on city council. But she will continue to do well. Brett Tark Bakari, uh, he was very passionate in his speech tonight, talked about uh, things that have been hallmarks of his uh, his time in uh, city council so far, and that is reaching across the aisle. We know he is good friends with Larkin Eggleston. Uh, they have uh, formed a, uh, an alliance. They do a podcast together. Uh, Tark is very big on reaching across the the aisle when it's appropriate, and uh, he's only going to have fuel to that fire after tonight. No, absolutely. And, you know, the big concern in that specific district was whether or not the Republicans were actually going to show up to vote for the quarter cents, uh, you know, against the quarter cents sales tax and specifically for Tark Bakari. And because other than those two issues, they really had no reason to go to the polls. Well, you know, right now with 76% of the precincts reported, we're at 13% voting which some people thought it would not even get to 10 or maybe 11 at the most. And now we're saying, okay, it might even get to 15, 16% of the people that are going to be voting uh, in Mecklenburg County. So I, I think that Tark did a really good job of motivating his district specifically by also piggybacking on top of this quarter cent sales tax. It was like a two for one. And, you know, along with Matthew Ridenauer, who's right. a good friend of his, they did this splendidly because every chance Matthew Ridenauer got to talk about, of course, in sales tax, he was also talking about Tark Bakari. And I think those two together made a very nice team and they beat a seven figure budget together. Well, and Tark is always passionate as long as I've known him. Oh, yes. Matthew <laughs> yeah. Ridenauer, that's as passionate during his, his speech uh, a little bit earlier. That's as, about as passionate as I've ever heard him uh, in, in all of his time. And he's not even on ca uh, commission right now. Makes me wonder, though, uh, is this uh, signifying a, a rematch between Susan Harden and Matthew Ridenauer coming up? It, it absolutely is. I will go ahead and just guess that. But you know what else is interesting that my phone is blowing up over right now? When you're newly elected to any position and it's your first term and you're running again for a second term, you're most vulnerable to a primary opponent. And I'm already getting messages about people wanting to primary county commissioners who voted for the sales tax. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. I always called it The Shining. When I was a kid, there was a place. You still owe a debt. Pay it. Wakey, wakey. Nobody shines like you, Doc. Dr. Sleep. Radar. It is WBT's Friday morning news. Time to bring on Sean O'Connell from CinemaBlend.com. And we touched on this uh, a few weeks ago, talking about movies maybe you ought to watch to get into the Halloween mood. And you said at that time, rewatch The Shining to get yourself ready for Dr. Sleep, which opens today. It does. And I'm, I'm kind of glad I, I told people to do that because now that I've caught up with Dr. Sleep, um, it's way more of a sequel to the Stanley Kubrick film um, than it is, you know, just the traditional Stephen King adaptation. So King wrote this book, Dr. Sleep, and it's a 
it's a sequel to The Shining, but it you know it's 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 Danny Torrance, the the little boy from The Shining, as an older as an adult essentially, and he's played by Ewan McGregor, and it sort of catches up because King would always say in interviews, I, I was always curious like what happened to Danny, you know where where is he now at his point in his life? So he wrote a story, but it's not a traditional you know sequel to The Shining because obviously the Overlook Hotel doesn't exist anymore and Jack Torrance can't be around, and so it, it's a completely different you know type of story. But when uh, Mike Flanagan, the director, made the, this movie, Dr. Sleep, he really wanted to make like a sequel to Kubrick's movie, and they figured out how to do it, and it's, uh, it was really impressive. But I was, I was blown away. Even having read the book, while it's a, a tight adaptation of the book, there's a lot of twists and turns and changes that Flanagan makes that I think actually improve the book and make better connections to the Shining movie. Well, here we go again. Uh, how many times have we talked about Stephen King and this this renaissance that's going on over the last uh, year or so? And uh, I, I think about The Shining with Jack Nicholson, obviously, but there was also that Shining miniseries that ABC did, uh, what, 20-something years ago, which which uh, nobody thought that was better than the Kubrick movie, but I thought it was decent on its own. Uh, so are you better off uh, reading the book if you've seen nothing else, or should you see the Nicholson movie to prepare for this to understand Dr. Sleep? And then I guess the oh. overarching question is, can you watch Dr. Sleep and not have any idea of the movie and the books that came before it? You should absolutely watch the Kubrick film because this is a sequel that that is that pulls imagery directly from the Kubrick film. Okay. I mean, just the way that the Overlook is designed and specific characters from the Kubrick film. Like Flanagan is absolutely making an homage to to that movie specifically. Um, will you enjoy Doctor Sleep without knowing The Shining? Maybe, but, but probably not. I mean, there's so many references and and talking points that build off of. Uh, the story that we know from The Shining that I, I think you're right. That's a good question to ask because I just don't I don't think it works as a standalone movie uh, or won't be as impactful uh, if you are not at least familiar with the story of The Shining and, and kind of what happens and and wanting to, to think about where those characters went after those events. So a lot of people will be familiar with the song Last Christmas, uh, the George Michael song. <laughs> and uh, I, I've seen this when I heard that it was coming for a while and, and, and not, uh, you know, not quite sure what to make of it. But So it's a, it's a George Michael-inspired movie that opens up today that is loosely based on the song. Am I somewhere in the right wheelhouse there? Well, let's put it this way. Um, it's, well, I'll say that it's a romantic comedy, and the industry uh, doesn't make that many good ones uh, anymore. So people who love that genre will probably want to check it out. But if you, you're right, yes. If you pay, if you pay attention to the lyrics of that song, the George Michael song, and believe me, we're into the holiday season. You're going to start hearing it all the time. Uh, then you know ex exactly what happens in this movie, like the the twist, quote unquote. <laughs> is given away completely uh, in the lyrics of the George Michael song. And so uh, it's funny to see the movie's marketing kind of play around with, um, you know, what's the, what's the hook between this couple? Uh, it's, it's Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians, and then Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones, who, you know, but we've talked over the years of people who are in really successful television shows that just struggle to make that jump to the big screen for whatever reason. And I don't think that it's Amelia Clark's fault in terms of her performances. I think she's fully capable of carrying something on the big screen. She has just made the worst choices in terms of uh, what projects she's going to, to try out. For, but trying to play Sarah Connor in what is arguably the worst Terminator uh, sequel to now this film, which, believe me, by it's not good. You know, don't, don't, don't think that I'm, I'm sugarcoating the fact that it's, it's uh, not effective. I, I want her to find a project that fits her because outside of Game of Thrones, she's not been able to to do anything with any real uh, lasting impression. Well, and uh, what she was in Solo too, right? I mean, the, if you're going to pick a Star Wars movie in recent memory, that's that's not exactly the best one to be associated with. Uh, to the point where I completely forgot she was in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I feel you, really bad to admit that, but I do. I, for, I forgot she was even in that. But you know what? Now I'm I'm going off on a tangent here, but do you think that Solo, that movie that came out last year, uh, suffered more because it was so quickly after the Last Jedi? that people had issues with? Is that one of those movies that people are going to go back to in a few years and say, that was actually okay and kind of wish they had uh, maybe gone down the road of a sequel there? 
Oh, I think enough people have even caught up with it, you know, on home video. Yeah, I think they avoided it for a couple of different reasons. A, I don't think people wanted to see someone else try to play Harrison Ford's signature role. Um, so they avoided it for that reason. Then the reviews were not crazy great, so probably casual fans avoided it. But I, I've heard from a lot of people who have caught it on home video after the fact who were like, oh, that wasn't that, wasn't that bad. You know, yeah. it, was, it was okay. It was kind of entertaining. Um, there is a movement <laughs> on social media because social media thrives on movements of people who are trying to get Solo 2 off the ground, or at least, you know, keep the idea going. But, but Lucasfilm, I, I, don't, I don't see them going back to that well. I, I, I think that, that that sort of backfired, blew up in their face, and I'd be, I'd be stunned if we saw the future adventures of uh, Alden Einmerich as, yeah. uh, as Han Solo. Well, uh, this much we know, he, he, his schedule is probably free if they decide to go down that road. So. <laughs> Yes, I would assume it is. Now, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Governor McCrory was talking about this uh, last Christmas movie yesterday, and he said that he's heard uh, this is kind of along the, the the road of love, actually, as far as a Christmas movie would be would be described. You think that's accurate? You could say that, sure. I mean, well, it's, it's actually co-written by Emma Thompson, who um, is in Love, actually, and she has a part in this in this film. It's a smaller part, um, she, but she, you know, she's in it, so I can see how you, someone could make that comparison. And the final thing, uh, there's another movie that opens up today. Uh, I've seen a lot of previews for this, this Midway film. Yeah, the less said about this one, the better, um, huh. <laughs> unfortunately. It's one of those examples of Hollywood, you know, trying to recreate uh, famous battles, uh, famous turning points uh, in major wars. And, you know, every once in a while you get a really great director who's behind it and they're able to really tap into the gravitas. If it's uh, Steven Spielberg trying to do Saving Private Ryan. But this is Roland Emmerich, uh, who <laughs> specializes in science fiction. <laughs> yeah. And he's put together a really weird cast, like Dennis Quaid and Woody Harrelson are the, the main stars in this, and then a lot of younger actors who people might know from te like television shows. And it feels like that. You know, it feels like a random cast put together uh, in a project that nobody really thought fully through. All right, so Charlie's Angels is next week, and then you have uh, Frozen 2 not too far behind that. And uh, we, we know it's coming up in December, uh, a little Star Wars action. So lots coming down the pike. Uh, we'll stop it there for now. Sean O'Connell, CinemaBlend.com. Have a great weekend, my friend. Uh, you too, Bob. I always kind of saw myself as the uh, as the bridge between the old WBT and the new WBT, um, and now you're the bridge. Is there anything and that we haven't if, talked about that you want people to know about? If people like this interview, you're just as important to this interview as I was. You asked very good questions because you brought out a lot of things that I had forgotten. To me, Ty Boyd saying the call letters there there is that's the standard. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hearing the WBT, WBT, Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> what do those call letters mean to you? Everything. Download the first five episodes of Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. Don Russell and James K. Flynn, both of you were institutions in your own right already before the morning show duo ever came to be. Except it's more like we were institutionalized. <laughs> institutions, but. Bo Thompson, good morning. Al Gardner, it is uh, awesome to hear your voice. Listen now at WBT.com, Radio.com, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's it's always a two-way street. It's a team thing, and people forget that. We right. were both good today. Because our last name is Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not every day that you come out of a Vince Coakley promo, and then you go to the WBT hotline, and what do you know? It's Vince Coakley. <laughs> Live. Yeah, I, I I thought to myself, man, I really like that guy. I need to listen to him. <laughs> I got a, That's an appointment listening right there. Uh, <laughs> How you doing, my friend? Doing great. How about yourself, Bo? Good. Vince Coakley, every morning follows the Pat McCrory Show at 10. And I wanted to pick your brain for a few minutes today uh, as you have had a chance to digest the election here. Uh, another election. I mean, the third election of 2019 that we've been talking about. But uh, it is the last one before we turn the corner and head into 2020, obviously. But, you know, uh, no surprise that Vi Lyles wins a second term a couple of days ago. But I am curious, what do you believe that that uh, the second term for Vi Lyles and really the Vi Lyles trajectory as a political candidate or or political career goes, you know, fr from from henceforth is. Well, 
I, I think there's a there's a real potential there, and and I think some of that, uh, you know, and I'm not, you know, volunteering to be her advisor here, but I'll <laughs> tell you this: I think there's an opportunity, particularly with some of the great challenges that we face. I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me, as we continue to see our murder rate, uh, which is uh, getting back up there to a, a range to where it was back in the days when I was uh, doing television news. And uh, I, I think it's reached kind of a crisis point. And the question is, you know, who's going to provide the leadership to begin addressing this kind of issue in the community? So, um, you know, I think there's the potential. There's a, there's a lot of potential there. The question is, you know, is, is there the ability to stand out and do something extraordinary or just be kind of, uh, you know, a ceremonial caretaker person uh, and just kind of coast through? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, uh, I think we can agree that she is enjoying the kind of popularity, the bipartisan popularity that Pat McCrory once enjoyed as mayor of this town. And uh, he went on to uh, to serve seven terms. What I wonder is, is Vi Lyles going to aim for something higher uh, after this go round? Because you've heard her name uh, bandied around with, with things like the, the U.S. Senate, possibly, and, and, and maybe other offices. But I wonder how long she will serve in this role and maybe... Uh, Maybe next time around uh, she looks at something higher. Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, one of the things that you know how this works, so many uh, people in this kind of position, what they will do is they'll use the safety of that position yeah. to then uh, run for another one. Yeah, and the question just becomes what, what is that next position? But I also, also think that, you know, even though the popularity may be there, there may be some effort to try to do something extraordinary, something that really stands out mm-hmm. to set her apart and prepare her uh, for that next jump. But I would I would not be surprised to see that next jump sometime in the near future. So the uh, quarter cent sales tax referendum, uh, the the tax hike fails. Uh, at the same time, Tark Bakari uh, wins a resounding victory as a, a Republican uh, in this Democrat-dominated time. Uh, so Republicans can still win in spots, and Republicans can still get behind, uh, uh, you know, ideas and and pull things over the finish line, despite a huge disparity in money spent uh, on the other side. Yeah, I was uh, just talking about this on the program yesterday, and I, I think this is kind of cool because uh, there's that distinction. Uh, you know, very often we talk about Democrats, at least I talk about Democrats and taxing and spending, but when it comes right down to it, even in this community that's been shifting, you know, very much shifting blue, there is no question that when people are talking about their own pocketbooks, there's still kind of a conservative edge there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's something that's quite encouraging. And, and it's good to see that the presence of someone like Atark Bakari is still, uh, you know, it's still viable uh, in this atmosphere. There's still a, a safe district for someone like him. Now, let me shift gears to Kentucky. You know a thing or two about the state of Kentucky. This Matt Bevin, Andy Bashir race. Uh, Matt Bevin has not declared or has not conceded yet, but uh, right now uh, Bashir has the upper hand. Uh, what do you make of what's going on here, especially since President Trump did the Dan Bishop thing a few nights ago and uh, tried to stump for him the night before, hoping to put him over the finish line? Yeah, I'm, and I'm not even sure that I. Uh, well, I mean, I think I kind of clearly communicated yesterday that Matt Bevin, and I say this as a friend of Matt Bevin, uh, had a very, very big unlikability problem. And this is uh, really the anchor that that brought him down on election night. And, uh, you know, I just think it gets to the heart of the idea that uh, it doesn't matter uh, what your party affiliation but, you know, and, and Kentucky is still, I think, very much a conservative state. So the crazy thing about this is I, th- I think this was an opportunity that was just squandered. Uh, I mean, you, you can't pull a rabbit out of a hat here and come and ask President Trump to pull you out uh, when you're just not liked. By the way, uh, uh, Governor Bevin's looking for a re-canvas, yeah. and there's one other weird possibility that he could pursue to have the legislature look into this 
And, and not that this is likely, but there is a scenario where the legislature could end up deciding this race. By the way, it's Republican-dominated. Uh, the last time something like this was approached, the there was an assassination of one of the candidates. Hmm. So this is a... Uh, uh, this will be an interesting situation to watch, but I think the lesson in all of it is, you know, you gotta you gotta be a person who's likable that people really want to put in office, uh, and this was unfortunately squandered. Vince Coakley, more today at ten right here on WBT after the Pat McCrory show. Always enjoy talking to you, my friend. Hey, same here, buddy. Newsmakers talk to Bo Thompson. Direct from the White House this morning, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Good morning, Bo. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, good morning to you. How are you, Bo? Good morning. Talking to the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, on WBT. Thank you, Bo. It's a great city. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bo. Vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Good morning, sir. Hey, Bo. It's great to be on your program. Mr. Johnny Harris, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. We're real excited. We got our first day under our belt yesterday. The head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera. Morning, Bo. How you doing? You know, I listen to you guys constantly. Chief of Police in Charlotte Mecklenburg. He is Chief Kerr Putney. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. Thank you, sir. That is special. I appreciate it. This is WBT's Morning News with Bo Thompson. Mr. Trump, I appreciate it. I told your people I would get you back on to the next thing, so I will honor that. But thank you uh, for... Don't worry, Bo. That was really great. I really do appreciate it, Bo. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. So I got an email from our next guest yesterday. Now, he didn't know this, but I knew that... Coming up on the show, Pat McCrory's show yesterday, the governor had a top five, and the top five just so happened to be the five reasons why the tax hike failed in that referendum. And uh, Edwin Peacock joins me right now on the WBT Hotline. Of course, Edwin was uh, a longtime member of Charlotte City Council at large. He also was a mayoral candidate in 2013 and 2015, and we check in with him from time to time. But So Edwin has his own top five about the exact same thing, and I want to hear what that is, but I have to give you a little bit of an idea of why I didn't immediately call you back yesterday. <laughs> it would have been dueling top fives, uh, but but you both, I, I heard his, and by the way, if you mi- missed his, uh, you can hear it at WBT.com like usual on the podcast. But Edwin, uh, you come from a background that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's a lot like what Tark is talking about, where he's a fervent support, supporter of the arts, the idea of the arts, Tark Bakari, the current uh, mm-hmm. D6 councilman, but uh, you know, you're also a fiscal conservative, and it is possible to 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 uh, juxtapose those ideas together and, and be somebody who operates in society loving both ideas. Oh, I couldn't, couldn't couldn't agree more. You can be a conservative, and you could you can and, and should be a supporter of our arts. Well, you grew up in Charlotte, and you know as well as I do that that many people growing up here would say this was a great place to live, but it really didn't have a whole lot that you would want to visit. And really, what's changed in the last decade is that we've got a growing cultural sector that. Um, has, has contributed to our economic success, and it's a big part of the formula. And so as we've grown and as we've gotten through the Great Recession, our arts organizations have been struggling. And it's not because they're not strong organizations. Some will fail, some will succeed, and some will merge with others. But they have a real and, and honest problem. Uh, with What they need is a dedicated funding stream, and it's not just in Charlotte. It's all across the state. So it's not just a Charlotte problem. Um, but the problem that they were trying to solve, I think, on the ballot box was just it was simply bad timing. There was a lot of confusion around it. And I think when you add both of those together and you don't have a lot of support, especially around the edges of Charlotte, um, what uh, Governor McCrory probably acknowledged in his top five is, is that you have to do this in a regional fashion. We just have so many of our of our, of our patrons that come in from from as much as two hours away from Charlotte. And those counties need to be included in any type of referendum because we need to answer, most importantly, for those that are coming to the region who want that high quality of life and want great job opportunities. They want these cultural amenities, but you have to be able to fund them. And in order to fund them, you have to answer the question, I think, in the suburbs, which is what's in it for them? Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe where our friends on the, on the, on the four 
side of the of the ledger didn't spend enough time, which was out in the in the ring of uh, of outside of Charlotte and outside of Mecklenburg County. Talking to Edwin Peacock here on WBT's Morning News. Now uh, he has, and he released this yesterday on social media, uh, a top five list of reasons why this uh, referendum, uh, this this tax hike, you know, the sales tax increase failed uh, night before last. Now you you already hit two of these, and and by the way, we'll, we'll go over them in in uh, bullet point fashion here. But if you want to check out the full list, we'll talk about where you can see that here in a minute. Uh, number five, you hit timing. Number four, confusion. Number three, voters trust. What about that? Well, this is similar in, in my mind to my children coming to me and asking for a credit card. I want to know what they're going to do with that credit card, what they're going to spend, what they're going to buy, and then when are they going to give it back to me? And essentially, the, the way that this referendum set up it started out as an as an arts referendum to help the arts community, and then what got added onto it were parks, and then education, and with with just no no end in sight, and not a real lot of clear answers to that. And I just think that's where you lost the voters' trust. That's what you're ultimately asking for in a referendum: is let me tax you and let me spend the money in a fashion that you agree, and that just wasn't fully vetted out. And you also talk about uh, reason number two: priorities. Well, in the context right now where the number one subject in Charlotte is perhaps on the policymakers' mind has been mobility, economic mobility in specific, along with that as well, too, has been affordable housing. And then those that are listening right now that know that traffic congestion is, is not getting better, it's getting worse. And we're reaching a bandwidth right now with the way that we're funding our transit where we just don't have many other options. And people would rather address those issues. And I think, obviously, the most important one is public safety, and, and uh, we, we can never overlook that. If you don't feel safe, everything else falls secondary. So this, this became, in, in some regards, somewhat, uh, uh, again, probably not at the top of people's minds going into the voters' booth uh, yesterday or two days ago. And your number one reason, and you already hit on this, so I'm gonna uh, I'm not gonna get too much into detail here. Suburban versus urban precincts. Uh, you can see more elaboration on that uh, by checking out Edwin's uh, top five. But I want to also ask you before I let you go here. So Tark Bakari wins the other night, uh, proving that a Republican still can win, and and he won easily. Uh, so and and you know now you look at that city council, two Republicans, the county commission has none, and then on the other side of that you have Vi Lyles who easily won re-election, and uh, she is one of the most popular mayors we've had. I mean, she's the most popular one we've had since Pat McCrory. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Vi has done a very strong job, and she's brought back a lot of uh, straightforward policies that advocate for Charlotte and Mary Charlotte uh, to Raleigh and to the overall state, and and we've gotten back on a a more level um, playing field that the Charlotteans are used to. But we we are in right now a one-party government. And as you know, that generally and traditionally will will, will lead to weaker policy making. Um, this is a city council that's going to have some new members that are going to get on board. That's always a positive. Uh, but at the same time, you've got uh, some some senior elder statesmen like Julie Isold and and uh, and Ed Driggs who bring a lot of strong leadership that will help them as well too. But they've got they've got a full agenda coming up, and and uh, you need strong leadership. And it, it's not always going to be best to have it at a one party government. You were uh, one of the last, maybe the last, at-large Republican city councilman. Uh, do you think we'll see uh, a swing back around the other way where Republicans could win at-large again? I do. The GOP has to has to field a, a slate of candidates, and you, it boils down to having strong, business-minded candidates and people that are electable. And right now, as you look across the trends in the country, right now the GOP didn't fare too well in a lot of the a lot of the urban and suburban areas metro regions and so i think you've got to bring strong business minded candidates and we've always been in the minority how did pat mccrory win in 1989 how did sue Myrick win in 1987 how did these things occur where they've always been in the minority and the answer is they were very good candidates and they spoke to the people on issues that they cared about and that's what the GOP's got to get back to, and you will receive support from the unaffiliated as well as the Democrats. Edwin Peacock, I uh, love talking to you, longtime charlatan, a great perspective, and like I said, your, your top five reasons that the uh, referendum uh, tax increase failed. Uh, where, where can people see the, the full version of this? <laughs> I'll, I'll post it on my website at edwinpeacock.com today. Thank you both. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on as always, Edwin. Take care. All right. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. Bob Thompson.
This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. You've been watching uh, the video footage of this 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 ship known as the Iron Scow on uh, on Niagara Falls. Uh, this is, uh, if you don't know, this is uh, a large, is it a barge or is it a ship or what is it, Charles? It's a big boat uh, that has been lodged on the rocks at Niagara Falls since a wreck in 1918. Stuck all these years until Halloween, where it became dislodged, and now it's apparently floating around, and maybe it's the, it'll get to the point where they can actually recover some of it. But it's interesting. This has uh, been there for years and years, and I've been watching the video footage over the weekend and uh, the last couple of days. Now, have you guys been to Niagara Falls before? Yes. I uh, went back in the very, very early 80s. And uh, we have some pictures from there, and you can see up, uh, you see this black thing in the distance. It looks like a boat. So you, you've seen there. it? I've seen it. Or maybe you, did you know what you were looking at when you saw it? I, I didn't know. So I didn't now know what know. it was. We just assumed it was some type of uh, piece of land or something. The Iron Scow. I've been to uh, Niagara once. Now, why I went to Niagara Falls in the middle of January, I don't know. I, I, I went to visit a friend who lives up there. But but I went up there in January, the the middle of the winter, and the falls were frozen. I mean, I didn't know that was a thing, but the falls were actually frozen, so I could see some of the rapids, but I couldn't see the falls. I mean, I could see them, but they were they weren't what you were expecting them to be. And then, so we were on, on the Buffalo side of that, or near Buffalo, obviously. And then you go across the border to Canada. And I remember, there's a big casino across the way in Canada, but you can see the falls from the other side, and no, not much better there. I do know that when I think of Niagara Falls, being the 80s kid that I am, I think of this. We can't get over there, but you can Hey, Mom, look! <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, honey, that's nice. Okay, uh, it's too much noise. Come on, you're with me here, right? Remember this. I'm not trying to be morbid here. The kid fell, yes, but you know what's about to happen. Here it comes. Ah. Here's the best part. There. This lady, what a nice man, Superman. Don't you remember when Superman rescued the boy in Niagara Falls? That was always my whole connection to Niagara Falls until I visited in, in the middle of January. But unlike the movie Superman 2, the falls were frozen that day. And yet the iron scow has been dislodged and maybe, maybe they'll finally bring it to shore. Thus ends my entire knowledge of Niagara Falls. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WPT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WPT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.